Welcome to the Elevate Life podcast channel, a channel focused on helping you establish a biblical philosophy of life that will empower you to reach your full God-given potential. For more information about our church, visit elevate.life. Enjoy this episode. better okay I'm about to cut I don't know this might cause a church split Sheila is Jesus even better than the Dallas Cowboys yeah. I mean see, he must be really good then right <laughs> if he's if he's better than the Cowboys um, before you sit down I just need to share a dream that was in my heart since I was a little um, there was a dream in my heart to be a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader now, I'm not sure if you can tell if you're online, if there's a full shot right here, or if you can tell because I'm on the stage, or if you're used to use, looking at Pastor Keith and it doesn't, you can't really get the gist, but I'm six feet tall. These are supposed to be long sleeves. <laughs> I don't know how many giraffes you have seen on the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders, but I have yet to see one of those. So I just want to let you know I was born Pastor Sheila's size and only grew from there. But I still have dreams to couple with that. I looked around the room during worship, and I thought, if God can use somebody like me to speak at a place like this, there is truly unlimited potential in God. So I want you to find somebody, look them right in the eyes, and tell them there's unlimited potential in you. You can go ahead and say that in the comments online, and you can go ahead and be seated. I just want to say thank you to Pastors Keith and Pastor Sheila for allowing me on this platform. Uh, I know that there is a lot of wisdom in this house. I know there is a lot of strength in this house. Um, met Pastor Keith before we met Pastor Sheila at a church conference in 2007 or 2008, and um, when I saw him, and there was another really tall guy with him, I went up to them, because I'm adopted, I was born in Canada, adopted in the U.S. when I was three, and I'm like, oh, are you my family? <laughs> I, like, I thought I had found my people, my tribe, because it's hard for a lot of guys to make me feel small, petite, or even feminine, because... I am huge. Um, there's, just, there's just a lot to me. So when I, when I got around them, and then to realize that their wisdom and their spiritual love for people is the size of the rest of their stature was really cool. So I just wanted to say thank you for allowing me to be in this house. And we don't know each other. So I just wanted to share that I preach, we, ha we have four churches in St. Louis, we're building one in Fairview Heights, Illinois, we have two in West Palm Beach, Florida, but mostly in the Midwest, we have this thing called like a talkback culture, and I don't know if you've ever been to the movies in St. Louis, but when you do, and that person makes that unwise decision to head downstairs where the guy with the chainsaw is at, people in, sitting in the seats in St. Louis will yell at the screen and be like, lady, there's a dude down there, don't go! So I'm just used to a talkback culture, so I'm hoping you, you will make me feel at home as I teach a message today. Is that okay? Other thing, I usually preach like 
preach. Like, let's get down to it. Let's get dirty. Let's get dirty. Oh, my gosh, you're off your feet. You're in the air. And like, ah, and I wanted to do that. And then the Lord said, actually, the message I have today is more of a teaching message. So are you good if we teach today a little more than we preach? Is that okay with you? As long as what God has, right? So that sounded weak. I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not thrown. I'm not scared of you Texans. So just to feed into what we're doing today, I just want to tell you about my outfit for one second, which sounds girly to you guys, but you'll get on board in about 10 seconds. Put it on, felt elegant. I loved it. Wore these shoes. It's the first time I ever wore the outfit. I'm sitting on the front row, and the pants were growing uh, by the moment. They started here. They got to here. By the end of worship, they were here. I started eyeing the girl next to me, which doesn't make her uncomfortable at all because we don't know each other. And what I'm really doing is sizing up as if her belt will fit in my belt loops. So I want to let you know that during worship, while you weren't looking, I stole my neighbor's belt and put it on. Which only completes the look of what I thought was going to be elegant outfit with cool shoes to make it funky. And saw myself in a full-length mirror and realized I could walk onto the set of the Star Wars movie and totally fit. Adopted, I might be Obi-Wan Kenobi's daughter. <laughs> Just where I'm at, man. Just where I'm at today. All the things that come into the head of a speaker as they're coming on the stage. And I really believe that that's not unintentional. I think the enemy does that on purpose because he's trying to instill some limiting beliefs. Trying to erode confidence. Trying to make you think, who are you, you little girl? You, just, you, were, you spent a third of your life on a gravel road. Your family was poor. Your own biological dad didn't want you. You were molested in fourth grade. You're a piece of trash. You're used. You're damaged. You're no good. You got raped at 13. Girl, don't you see a cycle and a pattern here? Pregnant on one mother at 17. You have disqualified yourself. And then all the religious people in the room said, yes, you did disqualify yourself. Why are you on this stage right now? And where is Pastor Kate? <laughs> don't worry. He's back next week. You can relax. You can relax. I'm just sharing a little bit about my history because each one of us have things that have happened to us and things that have happened because of us and then other random things that were just said to us that had no validity that the enemy is trying to use to limit your potential. So God sent me here today with a mission. I am on mission. I am not just going to preach. I am going to teach today. Because today we are going to destroy those limiting beliefs. We are going to do a three-step system. Come on, somebody. We're going to find them. We're going to address them. And we're going to reprogram them. So right now I invite you to find a pencil, a piece of paper, something. Uh, grab a, a pen out of your neighbor's purse and get a credit card while you're there. I mean, they won't mind. Pull out your phone, take some notes, because the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. And if I can go nerdy on you for one second, um, audiovisual kinesiology learning implants information 70% deeper into the brain. What did she just say, Ed? I think she's speaking Star Wars or something. What I said is when you can see me, can you see me? When you can hear me, can you hear me now? And when you write something down, that's kinesiology, it puts the information 70% deeper into you so you don't leave and go, it was a good message. What was it about? Not sure, but it was awesome. 
No, you leave with the knowledge and the tools that you need to put this into your life. So while you're pulling out your notes, let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, do you believe that you serve a God of unlimited potential? Do you believe that God can set you free? Do you believe that the power of God works on the inside of you? Okay, now the next question I'm going to warn you is a trick question. I set you up with three yeses, which is the psychology of sales. Always make people say yes three times so they agree with you. And then ask them the hard question. The problem is this is a trick question. Notice I'm not lying to you. I didn't actually trick you. I'm telling you it's a trick. So then do you actually believe that you have unlimited potential? The problem is most of us don't. Most of us don't believe that we truly have unlimited potential because the enemy, people, your fourth grade math teacher came up to you. It was race day on the chalkboard where you're doing the addition problems. You finally learned addition. You were excited. You wanted to compete. And you're, she's like, who wants to be on the team? And you raise your hand to be in the race. And she's like, actually, we're doing another class today, so we're going to have Sally go today, okay? And what you heard is, my teacher doesn't believe in me. I'm really not smart. I can't compete with other people, and I think I'm less than other people in the class. And so we start to internalize these things, and they start setting up these things called limiting beliefs. Most limiting beliefs happen when we're in childhood, and limiting beliefs in the Bible are referred to as a word called doubt. Doubt. So let's go to the Bible for a minute. Let's go to Mark 11, 23 and 24. And in Mark 11, 23 and 24, it says, For assuredly I say unto you, whoever says unto the mountain, be removed, be thou cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. Who's ever seen the Rockies say me? Who's ever seen a mountain? It's Texas. I know it's kind of flat around here. But who's ever seen a mountain say me? Now, do you have 100% complete faith? That if you picture that mountain in your head and you say the words right now, mountain, be picked up and be put in the Pacific Ocean, and it's going to be reported on the news tonight in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you believe with 100% certainty that that would happen? 100% certainty, say me. I didn't say me either. Why? I have a limiting belief. You see, I believe that God is all-powerful. I believe that the premise and the law of faith works. I believe when I declare things in Jesus' name, whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven, whatever I loose on earth is loosed in heaven, Matthew 18, 18, and 19. But for some reason, my own belief system is limiting what I loose with my mouth with 100% faith and certainty. And here's the issue. For faith to work, we have to believe it. So that scripture says, and does not doubt, have a limiting belief in his heart, he shall have whatsoever he saith. The problem is we're not praying for people with certainty with cancer because we're afraid they might not get healed. We're not praying for true change in our communities and us and our families because we're afraid that it won't happen. We won't go into our neighborhoods and evangelize and say things on behalf of the kingdom of God because we're not actually 100% certain it's going to happen. Why? Our faith is hindered because of limiting beliefs. So that's one scripture. Let's give you another one. Another one would be uh, Romans 10:9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your 
heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you will be saved. There's that believe in your heart. That's another area of limiting belief. And here's something you might want to write down. If you don't believe it, neither will they. The problem is if you don't believe it, neither will they. But get this, neither will your brain. So uh, God asked me to teach unlimiting beliefs. And um, I go really do, I do a whole three-day immersive in a mastermind on limiting beliefs. And I was like, God, how can I do this? I am not a psychologist. I'm not a neuroscientist. So he asked me to do hundreds of hours of study. And so as I was diving into all of this study, one of the things that somebody asked me, uh, a pastor who's in my mastermind said, so explain this to me with the spirit, soul, and body. Because that's how God asked me to approach it. He said, the church approaches it from only theology. Confess the word, confess the word, confess the word. We confess the word, but the problem is, get this, I'll talk to you about the biology and the psychology, why just confessing the word, rhetorically, I guess you will. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth and is in heaven. Forgive us the day of delivery. You say that, do you, is that a real prayer when I pray it like that? No, because I'm not saying it to the Lord. I'm not feeling it in my heart. I'm reciting it. It's a recitation, not a prayer. But if I say those same words, oh, Father, you are in heaven. Can you feel the power of the difference when we enact our faith with a word? Totally different. So, Theology comes at it from confess the word, confess the word. The problem with the biology is the biology is cognitive dissonance. What does that mean? So the enemy did this tricky thing. Um, I don't have total proof of it in the word because there's not enough context in this part of scripture in Genesis 1. I want to ask Jesus about it, but it is my belief that at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, when the bite was taken, crunch, and there was a spiritual death and a physical death that will then come to the body put into place, that is where we lost control of 95% of the brain. Because biology will tell you 90%, 95% of your thoughts occur in the subconscious. We're not even aware of what we're thinking about. And here's the crazy thing with that. The enemy operates in darkness. So in the part of our brain that we're not even aware of, it's the part of your brain that's blinking your eyes, breathing, pumping your heart, um, none of which you notice till I just brought it up. It's doing all of those things, and we only have 5% cognitive thought. The frontal cerebral cortex does a lot of the thinking that we're cognizant of. So there's all of this happening in the background, the biology, the psychology of it is that there's these neural pathways that are created, and this cognitive dissonance is kind of like that car you bought that you thought nobody else owned. Like, you ever bought, like, I don't know, you bought a midnight blue Toyota Corolla, and you see Toyota Corollas, but you've never seen a midnight blue Toyota Corolla until you bought a midnight blue Toyota Corolla. And then you start driving down the highway and you're like, well, there's one over there and there's one over there and there's one. Has that ever happened to you? That is the cognitive dissonance filter being lifted from your brain. Who's on Instagram? Say me. My at sign's Nicole Crank. Hit me up, yo. Snapchat. Who's on Snapchat? So the thing, the filters, right? You put a filter on a picture... You are 20 years younger, 10 pounds skinnier. When you do follow me on Instagram, you won't recognize me because it's all fake. <laughs> I love it. I can't take a normal picture of myself without the filter on Instagram. Why? 
Cognitive dissonance is the filter that I believe got put in place from the fall. Our 5% of our brain can't handle the billions of images we see every moment. So the brain in the subconscious filters what we see. The problem with that is what your brain believes, it will fight to prove. So if you believe you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good. Say it again. No, I'm teasing. What your brain believes, it will fight to prove. So if you have a limiting belief in your mind that you're not good at math, that authority figures don't believe in you, that you are no good, that you, you can't play baseball, whatever was told to you when you were a child or because of what happened to you or because of you, your brain will filter it and try and prove it. So we have to go down into the recesses of our mind and reprogram our brains. So the three things we're going to do today, we're going to work on finding, addressing, and reprogramming. So basically, this message is far out. We're going to find, address, and reprogram. And we're going to see how life happens. Life happens to us in this kind of four-step process. So the question my pastor friend asked me is, how do you separate, and where do you separate the spirit, soul, and body? Because we have a body, we are a recreated human spirit, and we possess a soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. Now, until our body passes away and falls into the earth, here we are, all three of us live together in this, in this body as one thing right now. So how do you separate those? And the Lord gave me this illustration. Uh, do your kids, do you get, anybody have kids? Say me. Anybody want to give one of them away today because you're just done? No, don't answer that. Um, but do your kids have crayons? Ever seen a red crayon? Do you think you could take the red out of the red crayon? That's like the spirit, soul, and body. They all touch one another, and we are so intertwined. So the church addresses it from the theological standpoint, but it doesn't address the flesh, the biology, or the psychology, the soul. So what happens, the old man has passed away, and all things have become new. But anybody else in the morning, your old man raises up, it has stanky breath, and is already thinking about sinning. Right, so this old man raises up. So how do we address that old man? We can't make hollow confessions. We have to believe in our heart. So God kind of showed me how to fix this. So we're going to look into these beliefs because virtual reality, the unseen, the daydream, the things you're thinking about when you don't know you're thinking are as real to you as what is seen and real. So as I was studying these neuroscientists, as I go on, is this interesting at all? Okay, because like I told you, it's kind of teachy today. So if it starts feeling like school, just like wave a hand at me and I'll do a dance, sing a song, you know, bring out a pet monkey and we'll, I don't know, we'll do something cool, okay? A deal? Okay, so I was studying these neuroscientists and virtual reality. And one of the vir uh, neuroscientists says, as he put on the virtual reality goggles, he got into a room got into a conversation, got into a conflict, and when he started conflicting with this person, now, this scientist is at home alone in his living room. This other dude is somewhere else in the world. He's never even met him. But as they conflicted in virtual reality, the other guy took a step forward, and the neuroscientist said, I so felt his presence that I had to take a step back in my own living room. The unseen moved him because it was so real to his brain. So another neuroscientist went to a, an experience set up in Austin, Texas for VR, 
and she put on the virtual reality goggles and it walked her through the experience of being an immigrant from Mexico, illegally crossing the border, trying to come into the United States of America. And as she's walking through this experience, and she's not from Mexico, uh, she's not from Texas, she's not familiar with this experience at all, but as she's walking through this experience in VR, she is this immigrant, Border Patrol comes, draws a gun on her, her heart starts racing, she physically starts sweating. They hold the gun up to her temple in VR and say, get to your knees. And in this experience, she's in it alone, she physically gets to her knees and she's shaking when she realizes this isn't real right now. And she rips her virtual reality goggles off and watches herself shake and sweat. It was so real to her mind, the unseen was moving the scene. What am I doing right now? I am exposing the tactics of the enemy. So let me tell you about my own life. Um, I, I kind of talked talk to you about the first part of my life, but I met a guy after my son was five years old. I'd been a single mom for five years. He had hot cheekbones, bodybuilder, the right medical initials after his last name, and he wanted to marry me. We had been engaged for 13 months and about, I asked him at least 135 times, are you sure you want to marry me? Because I don't want to get divorced. My whole life has been screwed up. I want to do one thing right. No, I want to marry you. I want to marry you. I want to marry you. Y'all, I walked down the aisle. I was looking good in the hood. <laughs> he cried. I knew this is what I've been waiting for my entire life. I get to the end of the aisle. I go on our honeymoon. We had the best marriage for three whole weeks. Three weeks later, we got married on March 25th, 1995. On April 19th, 1995, it was my birthday. Hey. <laughs> it was also the Oklahoma City bombing, which I did not realize was a prophetic picture of what was going to happen to me that day. Uh, we worked together at a Fortune 500 medical company. I was the director of marketing. Uh, he was the director of, I'm not going to name the department, and I got home from work before he did. Started getting ready because I knew he was planning something good. About an hour went by, I was okay. Two hours went by, my hair was redone, my makeup was redone, my outfit was re-picked out. Eight o'clock came by and I started realizing he better plan something good or he is in trouble. Nine o'clock came by, I got worried. 10 o'clock came by, I called all our friends. 11 o'clock went by, I called the hospitals. Midnight happened and I started to file a missing persons report with the police, which they told me they wouldn't do because he hadn't been gone long enough. I drove the route between my house and my work looking for the car in the ditch because he'd obviously had a car accident and he could be dying at that moment if I don't find him. That was a Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday happens. Sunday evening, the front door of my house flies open so hard, the doorknob from the door goes into the drywall. He comes flying around the back of the couch. I get up off the couch, and I ask him the question that anyone would have asked him. I asked him, yeah, didn't think that was a sin to ask that question. To which he responds, what do you mean, where was I? Where have you been? Where's the guy at? Where are you hiding him? What you been doing? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've been looking for you. I've been with your mom. I've been calling everybody. I've been, I've been searching the ditches. What I didn't know is he had had a prescription medication problem that turned into a cocaine problem. 
that he justified as we walked through all of this by saying, but everybody in the hospital did cocaine to stay awake for their shifts, which gave me confidence in no hospital ever. <laughs> and I'm like, what? So then the guy he was getting the cocaine from kept telling him for a few weeks, all I have is rocks, all I have is rocks, all I have is rocks. That meant nothing to me until it got explained to me, rocks means crack. He did crack for the very first time on my birthday and was instantly addicted. The problem is, is when he would come down, it would make him incredibly violent. Uh, so as we walked through rehab and beautiful restoration, and then he would relapse, and then I'd end up with a restraining order. He would go into rehab, we'd have beautiful restoration, he would relapse, and I would get a restraining order, I would get a herniated C7, I would get broken ribs, I would watch him throw me through walls, throw me through a door, watch him pull a moving ceiling fan out of the ceiling. I'm not even sure how it happened. I just saw it because the wires were still attached to it as he was trying to throw it at me. I remember driving down the streets of Ferguson, Florissant, where we lived, and the police pulled us over. Um, when they did, they just put their head in the car and they said, hi, Nicole, are you okay? That's the kind of relationship we had with the police department in our town. I said, I'm fine, the police left. And then I got in physical trouble because that police officer and I must have something going on. So that all happened in Ferguson, Florissant. That's important because I want to bring that back up to you later. That also instilled an entire mountain of limiting beliefs in my life. So everybody's got a situation. I brought a slide if you'll put that first thing up there. Everybody's got a situation that they're going through, right? If you don't know what a situation is, it starts with a sentence. Well, what happened was. <laughs> everybody's got a well, what happened was. And here's the one promise from Jesus that I really do not like, and it's John 16, 33. And, John, and Jesus promises us, in this life, you're going to have trouble. I'm like, Jesus, why did you say that? But it's true. Everybody said, there's trouble. No, come on, you can do it better than that. Like, yeah, breakfast and coffee. There's trouble. There's trouble. We don't have to have faith for it. It's just there. But then he says this but, but. I have overcome the world. So he acknowledges that there is trouble. He acknowledges that there is an enemy. He acknowledges that there is a limiting belief, but he has come to overcome the world. But we need to know how to tap into his power through the theology, psychology, and biology that he created us as a fearfully and wonderfully made human to be. In John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So you cannot kill a giant you cannot find. So we have to go out and we have to go out and find these giants because if we just try to skirt them, they never go away. They're always hunting us and they can hunt us or we can hunt them. And I don't remember I don't know if you remember uh, cartoons back from when I was a kid, but there was this guy, he was a wascally wabbit named Bugs Bunny. You guys know that wascally wabbit. And there was the guy who talked like that. His name was Elmer Fudd. And he was not going to let this wascally wabbit escape him. Matter of fact, if you don't know Elmer, I, I, I brought a little 10-second clip of Elmer with me. Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting wabbits. <laughs> <laughs> hey. 
We're putting the enemy on notice. Be very, very quiet. We're hunting limiting beliefs. And we're going to go looking around and finding the very things that have been standing in our way. Some of it has been self-sabotage. We're going to get rid of that today. Some of it has been your history, and we're going to get rid of that today. The blood of Jesus is big enough to handle your past. Some are going to be the things that have been echoing in your mind and causing neural pathways. We're going to change that voice, and we're going to change that statement today. Today, we are going to break free of limiting beliefs and live in the power of God. Can I get an amen? You can write down, awareness is the beginning of transformation. We have to find it. We have to become aware of it. We have to find it, F-A, awareness. Find, become aware. We have to look for it. You can't be afraid of it. And so the text I'm using for this today is out of Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, there's this guy. He's the big boss. He's the CEO, senior, senior big boss of the company, and he's got three guys that work for him. He's got John, he's got Ed, and he's got Bobby. He comes over to John. He's like, hey, John, here's the deal. I'm going out on a business trip international. going to be gone for like a year. These five companies, I want you to watch over these five companies. In the Bible, they call them talents. I want you to watch over these five companies while I'm gone. They're under your control. Ed, here's the deal. I got these two companies while I'm on this trip. I need you to watch over those two companies. You got this? He's got it. Okay, Bobby, I got one company. I need you to watch over it while I'm gone. You going to take care of it? All right, I'll see you. He comes back in a year. God is a good CEO. He expects a return on his investment. God is a good steward. So he comes up to John after a year, and he says, John, I gave you five companies, man. What'd you do? John says, I have a good report. I actually divided them and turned them into 10 companies and doubled, your, uh, doubled the increase of each one of them. Your five just turned into 10. He said, excellent job, John. Good reward. I'm going to give you more. Ed, tell me about the two companies. Give me the good news, bro. He said, oh, no, God, here's the deal. I took the two companies. I raised up two new leaders. I turned it into four divisions. Now you have four companies. And God is like, amazing. Well done, my good and faithful service servant. You get more. Bobby, come on, hook me up, Bobby. Tell me the good news. And Bobby says, well, what happened was, Bobby has a situation. Everybody say a situation. So a situation leads to my next slide, and my next slide says situations lead to thoughts. And there are two kinds of thoughts. There are default thoughts, and there are deliberate thoughts. Now, if we go back to that biology thing again, everybody say biology. That gray matter that you have in your head it will think on its own in the 95%, and it will start thinking without you thinking. There's two kind parts that there, well, there's more than two parts of the brain, but there's a part of the brain that reacted when I, that book hit the ground. Everybody who has taken notes, your head came up, you looked to see what the threat was. What is that? That's an amygdala response. There's actually two kinds of anxiety. One is amygdala-based anxiety, and the other is frontal cerebral cortex-based anxiety. That part of your brain thought before you thought. It reacted, fight, flight, or freeze, to save your life before you even thought to assess the situation. So those are the thoughts that we need to find because that is the area that the enemy is playing in. So when we have the situation with Bobby going on, Bobby starts thinking. How do we know that? Well, it says right there in the scripture. 
He said, Master, I knew, I thought that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Here's the deal. We cannot control our circumstances. Can you control if a tornado comes to Dallas? Can you control if there is an earthquake in California? Can you control who becomes president? I mean, that's up for debate. Some people say you can, but that's a whole thing. Not even going to go there. Just, you know, that was supposed to be humor. Ha <laughs> ha. Laugh nervously. Okay, 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 good. Yeah, we got that out of the way. Um, so, no, there's things we can't control. We cannot control circumstances, but we can control our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says that we are casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, taking into captivity, grabbing, finding, becoming aware of, so that we can reprogram every thought. We have to start thinking about what we are thinking about. It's the only way you go from a gravel road adopted, molested, raped, pregnant, unwed mother, to a woman who God has blessed to stand on this platform today with the ability to talk to you, who's had a best-selling book, according to USA Today, with a TV show that's on in five continents. That's not bragging on me. If God can do something like that with a girl like me, hence, and dresses in a Star Wars outfit, what can God do with you? What can God do with you? So we have to control our thoughts. We have to identify them, as, and we have to control them because thoughts are powerful. Go ahead and stand up with me for a minute. Let me show you how powerful your brain is. I want everybody to take the right hand. You put your right hand in. There you go. Leave it right there. And then, without knocking the neighbor next to you in the head, I want you to take your right hand over your left shoulder and take it just as far as you can. Go, go, go ahead and push it. You got this. Now pay attention to where you went and bring it back. Okay. Now, listen closely. Put your arms down to your side and leave them there. For this next exercise, pay attention because everybody's going to mess this up. Your arms don't move. This is only in your brain. Okay? okay. Now close your eyes. Do not move your actual arms. Only see this in your brain. And in your brain, see yourself lifting up your right hand. In your brain, see it passing your left shoulder, and your brain, see it going, going, going. Are you turning 360? You're turning 360 degrees around. You're facing the forward again? What in the world? Do you see it? Can you see yourself turning all the way around? Okay, now open your eyes. Now, physically, take your right hand. Without knocking your neighbor in the head, take it over your left shoulder and go as far as you can. Go, 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 go. How many people, you can come back, how many people went markedly further the second time than you did the first time? Say me. me. What happened? You broke a limiting belief in your brain. You saw something in your virtual reality, in your psychology, in your biology, because you took control of your brain. You told your body what it could do. You saw your body doing it, and then you actually did it. Tell your neighbor, good job, and go ahead and sit down. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And the only way to fulfill that purpose is to be intentional so that you can reach it. 
So a situation happened. Well, what happened was you had some thoughts, either deliberate on purpose, taking control of them, or default. So that is our find those thoughts right there, become aware of them, address them, because why? Because my third slide said, I get so emotional, baby, every time I think of you. Name that artist. <laughs> Some of y'all just gave me a huge compliment and said Whitney. <laughs> yes, Whitney is the artist, but she sounds nothing like that, okay? <laughs> we have an emotion. Our emotions are based on thoughts. Well, I don't know if my emotions are based on thoughts. I think I'm just emotional. No, your emotions are based on thoughts. Anybody ever done this? You get in the shower in the morning. You're by yourself, and you're fine. You're actually kind of happy until you think about John. Because John over here, he had the five companies. He made them 10. He's the boss's favorite. That's just his little buddy boy over there. And you and John got in a fight. You're like, you know what? When John came up to me, he smarted off. I should have told him off. Because you know what? Nobody likes him but the boss. And I should have told him there's only one person around here who likes you. And we all know who it is. And we all know that's why you got that office. And oh, man, if he ever does that to me again, you get yourself all worked up. And you were fine in the shower, but now you are angry. And John is there with you. Can I get an amen? right? We have emoted ourselves into a place. And the problem is if you tell yourself a lousy story, you end up in a lousy state. And if you're in a lousy state, you end up telling a lousy story. What does that mean? You have a good day at work. You come home, you greet your family, you walk in the door, hey fam, what's up? And you're ready for the day. You've had a bad day at work. You open up the door. Why is this house such a mess? Why did we even have you children? Is there food in the, there is never food in this house. If you're in a lousy state, you tell yourself a lousy story. It affects your bottom line. You ever worked for a company you didn't believe in selling a product you didn't like? Hey, you wanna buy some of this? I mean, it's overpriced and it's probably gonna break anyway, but I gotta sell some, wanna buy? You can't work for that company, can you? Are you going to be successful? Why? Because you don't believe. Believe. You have to believe in your heart. You cannot doubt. When you do, it sets up your limiting belief systems. You start thinking certain thoughts, likely on default. You start acting certain ways, getting yourself into a lousy state instead of a deliberate state. And the problem with emotions is they cause us to act. Now, the Bible tells us we have to get our emotions under control. In Ephesians uh, 4, verse 31, God says, you got to handle your emotions. He says, put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking with all malice, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ, for God's sake, has forgiven you. We have to get those under control. So I completely believe in confessions, and that's what we're going to end with, is the theology of the promise of the Bible and releasing it with belief in our heart, out of our mouth, which employs our biological and psychological state. But we can't do it. I am good looking. I am tall. I am amazing. I do not look like a Star Wars figure, and people care about what I think. Do you think I just changed anything in me? Did you think I changed anything in me? Did I change anything in you? What if I do it this way? I am beautiful, and I am smart, 
And I have the hand of God on my life, and I have been anointed to change the lives of the people that God puts in front of me. Do you believe that? When you believe in you, other people will believe in you. And that is the difference between a recitation and a confession. That's the difference between changing your biology and psychology at the same time. So I want to tell you a quick way to change your story biologically when you find yourself doing recitation instead of confession. Stand up one more time. See, you can call this your workout. You already did two squats. So I want you to take your, take your feet and go about shoulders width apart. Put your hands on your hips like you are Superman. Chin up, chest out, pretend you are Pastor Keith. Kind of feeling strong right now, aren't you? You feel like if somebody came at me, I could do something with this. In psychology, this is actually called the superhero stance. And believe it or not, if you stand with your hands on your hips, your chest out, your chin up, your feet shoulders width apart, after two minutes, 120 seconds, the hormone of testosterone, here's the biology, will be raised up to 25% in your body in those two minutes. Testosterone eradicates depression. Testosterone makes you courageous. Testosterone makes you brave. And guys use this on your chick all the time. Testosterone increases, increases your libido. All the guys are like, wait, I gotta take a note. <laughs> For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a strong mind. The power is the theology. The love is the emotion, is the soul. And the strong mind is the flesh in your thinking. And the three of those together, you're doing a biological interrupt that, incre that changes your psychology. And now that your biology of the testosterone has affected your psychology, your thinking, now you can make confessions in a strong way. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you feel stronger now than you did a minute or so ago? Go ahead and sit down. That's where science and the Bible intersects. I teach stuff like this in my circle of friends all the time. Um, I want to do my last slide. We're going to do in our last couple minutes together. And the last one is emotions lead to action. That's where some murders happen. I got so mad. I don't know what happened. All I did was hit him one time. Their emotions led to an action. We either act in faith or we act out of faith. But when we can control our thoughts, which leads to us controlling our emotions, when we truly believe something, when we are certain it will show up in our actions because we will do it, when we don't believe it, we're not going to do it. And a negative and limited thinking is where the enemy keeps us from actually walking out starting that business. Walking out asking for those resources. Walking out approaching that client that you thought you could never hook, but God's been waiting for you to pull in. From walking out stepping into serving in the capacity that God's calling you. From stepping out and asking that girl out, bro, I'm here to tell you she's waiting. Ask. From you actually getting down on one knee and saying, Can, will you marry me? Because you're half afraid she's going to say no and you're half afraid you can't live up to the commitment. Why? Because the enemy is dredging around in your subconscious telling you you can't. It's time to take action. Everybody say, action. And James 2, it says, here's the deal. What's good, brothers and sisters, if somebody has and claims to have faith, but then they don't do anything. 
It goes on to say in verse 17, it says, in the same way, faith by itself without accompanying actions is dead. So I told you that story about Ferguson Florissant and uh, where I lived with my ex-husband to just kind of wrap all of this together. Um, there was a guy, his name was Michael Brown. He got shot by a police officer in Ferguson Florissant. That part of town in St. Louis became a war zone. Maltow cocktails, everything burned down. The city literally destroyed. It looked like war for months in St. Louis. So what did our church do? We responded by planning a church in that area. So here we are, me and my husband, we're driving up and down the streets of Ferguson, Florida, my own stomping ground. I mean, I know this part of town. And as I'm going up and down the streets, I start having a panic attack. Like, I can't breathe. I'm super uncomfortable. I'm kind of sweating. Uh, my heart is kind of racing. I'm like, we got to get out of here, honey. We got to get out of here. And so we, we left. And he's like, what's going on? And I said, I don't know what's happening. I mean, I know that's where I used to live and all of that happened, but it was so long ago. I don't, I don't know why it's affecting me right now. Everybody say limiting beliefs. I had a situation. It lead, led me to thinking about what had happened to me. I started having emotions and feeling a certain way, and now I have to take some action. I went home, and I had a dream about my ex-husband that night. I got up, and I was like, oh, my gosh, honey, honey, honey. And I woke my husband up. And P.S., we've been married for 25 years. We celebrated 25 years October 4th, <laughs> which is completely impossible since I'm only 25. Uh, but I woke him up. I'm like, babe, I had this dream. I'm so upset. And he grabs me and holds me, and he's like, I love it when you have dreams like that. You are so clingy. <laughs> totally used it for personal gain. <laughs> but I knew we were supposed to plant a church there. So I have two choices, act in fear or act in faith. So I had to start believing. I started, had to start acting. I had to start backing up and taking control of my emotions. How do I take control of my emotions? I take control of my thoughts. So the four steps that we usually live through are situations, thoughts, emotions, and actions. How do we change the outcome of that? We find F, our limiting beliefs. We, two, address our limiting beliefs and our thought processes and our emotions. And three, we reprogram them in our actions. And now, once we understand the biology and the psychology, that's when we can really dig into the theology. How do we change what is happening? The promise of God is so much bigger than any limiting belief you could ever have or would ever have. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth except for what is edifying to the hearer and communicates grace. Why? Because your words are so powerful. You're thinking, you're feeling, and when you believe in your heart, and then that scripture in the beginning goes on to say, and confess with your mouth. So that next part is confessing. Everybody say confessing. We have to say the right things. Job 22, it says that you shall decree a thing and it shall come to pass. That lines up with Mark 11, 23 and 24, but it, that gives us more information that we have to say it, but believe in our heart. Do not doubt. So as we wrap up the message, if you want to go ahead and stand with me. I want you to say a few things. 
First of all, let me ask you a question. Did today shed some light on some areas that you did not know about? Do you believe that there have been some limiting beliefs in your life stopping you from living out the fullness and the potential that God has for you? Do you believe that you are equipped with the information that you need to tear down those limiting beliefs? Do you believe that God can fill in the gaps and that where you are weak, he is strong? And when you get to something bigger than you, he can put the power behind your hand and pull it down. Then you're in the position to truly make a full life change today. The things you could not reach will become reachable. The things you could not do will become doable. Why? Because I want you to say these words with me. Say, I can do all things. All means all. There are no exclusions. There are no exceptions. Everything, everything is possible to me because I can do all that God empowers. He's with me. He's for me. He believes in me. I can do all things through God who strengthens me. I'm the head not the tail. I'm above, not beneath. I am favored. I am loved. I am graced. I am healed. I am strong. I am mighty because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I will win. I will break through. Nothing, nothing, nothing is off limits to me because I'm the king's kid. In Jesus' name we pray and give God a shout of praise like he is real. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our channel to be notified of our latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. That way, you know when a new episode has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, visit elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.